This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, February 6, 2023 edition. And as longtime listeners know, this is a show that's about giving you perspective, giving you data, and helping you navigate ever changing markets. You know, uh, it, markets change from year to year, from quarter to quarter, from month to month. And a lot of that has to do with changing liquidity dynamics, changing economic trends, uh, and that means you have to stay on top of them in order to understand what environment we are operating in today. And we are in early February, but that also means that we are still in the midst of earnings season. And when you're looking at earnings, it's important to remember one big factor, especially in a time when earnings are decelerating, dropping for many companies, and likely to hit negative territory sometime this year. But if you look back in history, you will see that typically equities trough six to nine months before earnings reach their low point. Let me repeat that again. Equities, the price, hits its low six to nine months before earnings hit their low. And that's important to keep in mind when you are looking at these data points. When you when everyone says, oh, we're going into a recession or there's going to be an earnings recession. It's a reminder that market looks forward six to nine months forward and so if the market's starting to sniff out an inflection in the future higher in earnings well then the market's going to start rallying and start to reflect that expectation and so while a lot of people get caught up in the headlines, it's important to have a sense of proper valuation and how not just the economy will affect earnings today, but what will the economy look like in six months? For example, when you see interest rates go up, that takes a while to feed in to the economy as a whole. We know that, right? Monetary policy works in long and variable lags, as they say. And that's certainly true. And so if the Fed is going to pause, that likely means an inflection point going forward. An inflection point higher in the market and the economy. Now that could be even farther out. 
than six to nine months. And, and therefore, there might be more downside in the market. That's certainly a possibility. But you need to have that perspective and not get too tied up in, oh, what were earnings last quarter? Because frankly, the market doesn't care. It doesn't. It cares about what is going to happen in the future. And that's why by the time the headlines hit, it's already in for the most part. Now, no one has a crystal ball. No one knows exactly, but you have to. Put the odds in your favor based on lagged effects of things that are happening today. For example, we've talked a lot about M2 growth, money supply growth, and how that's typically an 18-month lag into inflation. We had a peak in M2 growth in early January of 2021, and we had a peak in inflation in July or June of 2022, 18 months. How these things work. So you always have to keep that in mind when you are looking at headlines and trying to assess the opportunities in the market and the risks. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm here today on today's radio show and podcast, and that's to help you develop the right strategies for you and your goals and your risk tolerance levels, help you make consistent decisions with your money, that are based on facts on the ground, not hopes and dreams and pie-in-the-sky pie stories. It's really about how the world is, not how you wish it to be. So the phone numbers, the phone number, excuse me, that you need to call right now to get your question is, is 888-99-CHART, and you can call that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. My main focus point concerns this story. Stocks surge in January, but do they still look undervalued? And we'll look at the various sectors and slices of the market and see what they look like after a strong rally in the month of January. Also, some other topics on the docket. One, we're going to go over the jobs report on Friday. And what were the caveats? Big headline number. But that's taken with a big grain of salt. Also, how are investors handling their 401ks in this down market? Are they selling out, buying more, staying steady? We're going to look at those number numbers. And then lastly, how will the Secure 2.0 Act, Tax Act, affect your 401k plan? So we're going to look at that. Okay, now Let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P down about 25 points. Modest down day overall. The broad U.S. market down 0.7%. The big weakness, small caps, down 1.4%. Interest rates were up pretty nicely, actually. 10 basis points today on the 10-year. And that certainly is affecting the domestic market more than the foreign markets. You had economic data out across the world, but not much today in regards to U.S. data. What else? You had the dollar a bit stronger. 
you had gold down into some support, but a bit of a pullback after the, the recent run. You had the NASDAQ. What did the NASDAQ do? COMPQ down 120 points. Yeah, a little over 1%. So after the nice rally in the month of January, you're getting a bit of a pullback, at least this week. And obviously, you had a little bit on Friday as well. So we'll see if there's follow-through. Not a whole lot to be gleaned from today's action. We were in overbought territory. And we were bound to pull back. So this shouldn't shock anyone, but it's not to a level that's breaking any major support near term. Uh, it's just a natural pullback from an overbought level. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And I thank you for your participation and helping us achieve over 49.5 million downloads since it all began. And of course, we're moving into a quick break. On the other side, we will take another listener question on Invest Talk, 888 chart. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Justin Klein. This came from the list. I have some laws with the CRM Salesforce. So should they exit now or wait for better performance? Listen to your opinion. Thank you so much. All right. This is Salesforce and one of the largest cloud providers, software providers out there. Large market cap, $170 billion market cap. Minimal debt on the balance sheet. Actually, pretty much no net debt on its balance sheet. Trading at about 40 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Price sales around 5.6 times. It's still a bit pricey for me, even though it's come down from its highs early last year. Where did it peak out at? Actually, it'd be late 2021, but it peaked out at right around 100 or $311. And now we're at 169 and change. So certainly corrected dramatically from those highs. And that's, that's nice, but still a bit on the expensive side for my liking. Now it did hit. It did get close to some major support right around uh, one, the mid one twenties. The real support was right on one, right at one twenty. So, you know, you could say it kissed that that level. 
but the question is, is it really worth five and a half times sales? Is it really worth 40 times EBITDA? It's a little rich for my blood. Now, free cash flow has been essentially flat since April of 2021, right around $5.5 billion. And $170 billion market cap, you know, that's still pretty low. So are you're basically paying right now for a flat business. It's not growing. It's not really declining. It's just been stagnant for almost two years now. And I'm not going to pay 40 times. Even if you go based on next year's expected earnings of $5.80, you're still talking north of 30 times forward-looking earnings. And we all know the farther you go out, the more optimistic those, those typically are. So while I like Salesforce, it's a good company. It just needs to be probably 40% cheaper than it is now. So if it can get back closer to $100 per share, that would be interesting to me. Definitely a name to be on your watch list, but I'm not buying it here because it's, uh, it's modestly overvalued. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Stocks surge in January, but do they look undervalued? And this is coming from Morningstar. And we, you know, they they're, they have independent valuations. And that's one thing I like about them. Most of the valuations you're getting from a big bank are going to be colored by some sort of conflict of interest, right? Their investment banking arm wants to give better valuations, better outlook from their analyst team so that they're getting good with the management team so that if they want to issue debt or equity, you know, they're on their side. So I like Morningstar because they're independent in that way. Now, going into this year, the market hadn't been as that cheap compared to where Morningstar had a value of it. Less than 5% of the time since 2010. So it was very, very cheap in relation to what Morningstar was expected value to be. Now, Morningstar could be wrong, okay? But there was a lot of tax loss selling in December that certainly hit valuations big time. And you had a snapback rally in January. The broad market was up almost 7%. Growth stocks were up about 11. U.S. core was at about 5.8. And then the value side was up 4.3. Small caps really outperformed, up 10.5, whereas large caps only up 6, okay? Now, the sectors with the worst performance in 2022 had some of the best in the month of January, and that's not atypical. Consumer cyclicals, communication, right? Those were artificially sold in December due to tax loss selling, and you get a snapback rally. Technology, real estate, financial services also getting a snapback for the same reasons. The, the sectors that did well last year, healthcare, utilities, defensive, those had a very subdued January, so that's not a shock. Now, they still see the market as about 10% undervalued. I would say that's correct. Uh, depends on the sector, though. You know, uh, there are some sectors that are still that are undervalued, basic materials. Uh, I think there are some consumer cyclicals as well. Uh, but overall, you know, a lot of the gains for this year might be given back. Now, we're heading to a break. So give me a call back at 888-99-CHART.
You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, before the break, I talked a bit about sectors that didn't perform as well in January that were healthcare, utilities, consumer defensive. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they didn't struggle last year. They were some of the best performers along with energy. And therefore, there there wasn't a lot of tax loss selling in December and a snapback from that. That's what you, once again, saw from a lot of those cyclical sectors, basic materials, uh, communication services, technology, uh, consumer cyclical. That's what really led the market higher in the month of January. Now, remember, these are all short-term numbers, and you don't want to get too caught up in the short-term numbers. You want to look at the valuations of these companies and whether or not they're attractive or not. Okay. Now, first off, this is likely to be a choppy year. We know there's a lot of economic headwinds, but there's some tailwinds as well. One would be relatively low unemployment, even though the job market is weakening, still relatively strong. Then on top of that, you have reshoring and manufacturing. A lot of companies investing in their future of production here in the U.S., which ultimately means more spending in the industrial space as well as keeping the jobs market strong probably for most of the year. Now, what about the sectors? What about the slices of the market? Well, small caps remain the most undervalued. And we've talked about this before. That's where I'm advising most of our clients to move. And when I do portfolio reviews, I still see the vast majority of people, they're overweight, mega cap, and large cap names. There, some of them might be overweight mid cap, but very few of them are overweight small cap. And punts why you see uh, that big difference in valuation. So the opportunities are in those smaller cap names. Then when it comes to sectors, obviously a lot of tech and communication were washed out. So there was some opportunities there, especially for a bounce, and you've gotten that. Now, the question is, how long can that bounce last when there's still a lot of them are overvalued? Just look at CRM, for example. We talked about that. They've had a bounce, but, you know, you're still trading at pretty high multiples across the board. And that goes for many of those names. Now, the consumer cyclical, that's probably where I see the most potential opportunities because people are extrapolating out this slowdown in spending, especially on physical goods as going on for a long time. When in reality, this is just reversion to the mean. You know, just how everyone was overly optimistic in tech stocks and in the growth there because of the pandemic and how that has faded. I think the opposite's true right now. Hey, these goods producers were making a lot of money. Now those earnings are dropping. And in many cases, the market is expecting those earnings to continue to drop for years to come. When in reality, it's more of a reversion to, you know, their pre-COVID level of earnings. 
So that's kind of what you need to look at for a lot of those goods producers. Now, basic materials have been under pressure due to weaker economy. But remember, the green revolution, EVs, all the money that's going into the, from the Inflation Reduction Act, well, it's going to need a lot of basic materials. You know, we're going from a supply chain that was fairly simple when you're building an internal combustion engine to one that's more complex, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a physical material standpoint as well. A lot more basic materials go into things like batteries than into internal combustion engines, which are mainly steel and aluminum. Now, the sectors that Held up last year, as I said at the beginning, consumer defensive, healthcare, and utilities. A lot of people chase those because they are, they pay dividends, almost all of them, but they're not the cheapest. They're not that attractive compared to many of the other sectors. So, some things I agree with uh, on the valuation front for Morningstar, some things I don't, eh, but you have to be objective and call it like you see it. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the best stock voice bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Yes, hi. My name is Kevin. I love the podcast. I am looking at AEM, Agnico Eagle Mines. I'm curious about the position. I have very little as far as the percentage wise, but thinking about moving it up, maybe 4% of my portfolio. I'm just curious if you look at this do you look at the chart or what specifically? Do you look at a 200-day or a 50-day? Looking to add, I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right. We own Agnico Eagle, and we like it. <laughs> Funny enough, it's uh, one of our strategies, about 4% allocation. And so, you know, we're, we're big fans of it. Uh, they had uh, a merger last year. Was it last year? Yeah, I forget the... What was the name of the company? There was another big gold name. I'm, I'm blanking right now on, on which one it was, but uh, it definitely put them together to make a, a strong producer with a lot of growth. And so we're fans of Agnico Eagle. Uh, Agnico Eagle. What I would use is the 100 day moving average. That's uh, where, you know, this is in general a, a volatile space, a volatile name, uh, and that's going to be where you'll find major support. That's right now around 48, uh, and now it's trading at 52. Now we're heading into a break. On the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question, what are recession-resistant stocks? And we'll talk about that tomorrow. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. 
you really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my perspective today concerns an important financial institution that affects us all, and that is the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve System is the central bank of the U.S. It was founded by an act of Congress in 1913, and its primarily, primary purpose is to enhance the stability of the American banking system. And if you go back in history of the American financial system, you'll see that it's long and it is winding. And I will omit a lot of early information because I want to focus on the eventual birth. But keep in mind that the United States made several attempts to regulate banks and manage the money supply at a national level before the Federal Reserve System was created. Now, let's set the scene and let's speak broadly. Now, before the... The, the act by Congress to create the Federal Reserve, there was so-called there was what is called the Gilded Age, and it spanned roughly from the end of the Civil War through early 1900s. Now they call it the Gilded Age because it means that it's covered with a thin gold veneer on the outside, but not golden on the inside. Now the, during the Golden Gilded Age, excuse me, New York City was still the center of the financial system. Between 1863 and 1913, eight banking panics occurred in, Ma <clears throat> excuse me, in Manhattan. You had panics of 1884, 1890, 1899, 1901, and 
eight. And because there was no real central big system, they were in a lot of ways confined to regions and states. Now, the panics of 1873, 1893, and 1907 were more broad-based, spread throughout the nation. So regional panics also happened in Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, back in 1896, right? Kind of the Midwest region. You had a mid-Atlantic states like Pennsylvania and Maryland. There was a panic there in 1903, Chicago in 1905. And the panic of 1907 was the first worldwide financial crisis of the 20th century. And it was only dwarfed by the Great Depression. So you can see how big it really was. It was the biggest of all of those panics. And you had multiple over roughly a 50-year period. You're talking one every five, six years or so. And so this set the stage for monetary reform that led to the establishment of the Federal Reserve System to improve the nation's chaotic banking system, right? You do this over and over, you say, well, we got to do something. So signed into act in, into law, December 23rd, 1913. And it was the culmination of a lot of debate. Central bank has been, you think central, this, the, the Fed is controversial today? It's always been controversial, right? How the banking system is set up, who benefits from it, how it operates, it's never been really agreed upon. It's always been many voices on both sides of the aisle and the way that they think it should be set up. But the reality is nothing is perfect. Now, the Federal Reserve Act had three goals. Maximize employment, stabilize prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. It has several layers. The Fed is governed by the presidential, presidentially appointed Board of Governors. Right now, that's Jerome Powell. And there's 12 regional Federal Reserve banks, all with heads. And there's rotating voting on the board. Eight of the 12 vote. And I believe three or four go out each year, and you have new ones replacing them. Now, the Fed also conducts research into the economy, publishes publications. So there's a lot that they do. They regulate their banks and the financial system as a whole. So that's how the Federal Reserve System came to be. And I wanted to give you that broad picture and some perspective. I love history because history always rhymes and you need to have a connection to it to understand today because human nature doesn't change the problems of today while they seem unique for the most part they aren't right most part they aren't they aren't unique just different names different people and so without that perspective you can get caught up in you make bad decisions. So that's why we're here. Help you give that perspective. Now let's go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart Hey, Stephen Justin. Uh, my name is Eric. I live in southern Indiana. I work a lot. Blue-collar guy. But my grandpa always told me to invest in SPY. 
So I've been doing that since the mid-90s. Well, I gradually went from that to VTI. And then with work, I have FSKAX through Fidelity, all broad-based index funds. I'm in my early 40s now. I'm trying to understand if it's worth it to just investigate single stocks, companies. I don't have a lot of time. I could make time, but I'm curious because the SPIVA, S-P-I-V-A, the SPIVA results state that long-term, no one beats the index over 20, 30 years. So I just wanted to see what you think about that. I'm not asking to point out your track record as a company versus an index over 20, 30 years, but just wanted to give your, your advice. I just stick to the index or put aside three, four hours a week investigating companies. Because I can tell you right now, I like waste management. I like Costco, I like Dollar General, companies like that. But I know that anything can happen and the index is safe. Thank you. Well, I wouldn't say indexes are safe. Just go look at 08, right? The S&P fell over 50% from peak to trough. So when you're talking about whether it's an active fund or an index, if you're just talking about equities, equities are not safe. You cannot use those two words in conjunction. Now, are there safer equities than others? Yes. They have less volatility than other equities? Yes. Obviously, large caps typically have lower volatility than small caps. Yes. There are broad generalities, but no equity, all equity portfolio is considered safe. Okay. Now, let's talk a bit about the indexes that you're speaking about. And you looked at SPIVA. For example, you said nobody outperforms the indexes, and clearly that's wrong. Even Spiva says that. Going back 15 years, now they will say only about 10.5% of large cap funds beat the indexes. Only 10%. But that also means that those large cap funds are charging a fee that's probably higher than what the index funds are. So that's the vast majority of why they underperform. But if you go 10 years, still about 10% outperform. Five years, up to 15.5% outperform. Three years, 14%. But one year, up to 44% outperformed last year. And so there are, these things go in cycles. Everything has a cycle. Everything. Short, medium, long-term cycles. Typically, active funds versus passive, they outperform based on in various cycles. Okay, For many years in the past, when value outperformed, for example, those active funds tended to outperform. When, sec when the S&P or the indexes in general get overweight too much sectors that are too expensive, eventually the tide goes out and that shifts back, right? So there's always those cycles. Now, if you don't have time to go and buy individual names and do the research and have the discipline and the data and the perspectives to make good decisions, you don't want to do a lot of work, the index is fine. You know, I would say you go find a value-based index. You can do it that way. 
I, I would argue that's better. Value tends to outperform longer term uh, over growth. And so that's what I would say is just use a, you could use an index, but a value index, for example. Okay. So try to say active always underperforms because it doesn't. Nothing is absolute in the market. Nothing. Nothing's absolute. Nothing's guaranteed. Can't paint everything with a broad brush and say there are no caveats. There are always caveats to the general rule about almost everything in the markets. But those caveats typically have a caveat. They have a reason why they broke the mold. So, you know, and Spiva, which you're talking about, that's the S&P. They're, they're, they're there to champion indexing because they make money off indexing. It's just the way it is. So always think about these things dynamically and make sure whatever strategy you're deploying is right for you, the time and expertise you have, put it, have to put into it, your risk tolerance level, and make sure you never think of equities as low risk. They never are. Let's go to Johnny in Wisconsin looking at HFIT. Yeah, hey, Justin. Uh, I haven't done too much research into this company. I just know they have a pretty big market share in the dental industry, and they have a footprint in the healthcare industry as well um, on the supplier end. And I think this industry is going to have some uh, tailwinds with the aging demographic. And I just want to get your general opinion on the stock HSIC. Thank you. Got it. Okay. Yeah, this is Henry Sheen, and they do provide medical and dental supplies to office-based healthcare practitioners in 32 countries, $11 billion market cap. So right in that mid-cap space. And earnings supposed to go up 7% this year, 3% next year. So it's a pretty slow growth business, right? Most people go to the dentist. Like you said, there are some demographic tailwinds as you get older, you need more dental work. So I get that. Uh, and so the question is, is this cheap enough? It has rallied pretty nicely. Currently it's trading at enterprise value to EBA about 12 and a half. And that's right about its longer term average. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily cheap or expensive. It's probably, it's about fairly valued. It's return assets is about, are about seven and a half. That's right around the long-term average. Return equity around 18, right around the long-term average. So, you know, this is one of those core holdings that isn't cheap. It isn't expensive. You're going to get, you're not going to get a dividend. So it doesn't pay a dividend, but what's it do? What's it doing with its cash flow? It looks like it is buying back shares. That's good. I like that. Doesn't have a lot of debt. I like that. So I'm going to give Henry Sheen a thumbs up. It's 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 not amazing, you know. It's it's better than most opportunities you're going to find out there. I definitely could find better that are cheap versus fairly valued. But it's a very good business. It's a consistent business that produces cash flow and earnings. And it's buying back its shares, etc. These are the names that you know. So many people are looking at it like it doesn't pay me a dividend. It doesn't pay me a dividend. I don't want it. Well, the buyback of the shares is kind of like a dividend. I know you don't feel it. You don't see it in your account. It doesn't feel as rosy as that cash flow hitting your, your IRA or your brokerage account. But they're good stewards of capital by buying back shares. And so I would rather buy this than something that's just, you know, 
yielding eight or nine percent, and people fall in love with that and paying too much for it. Let's go to James, New York, looking at ORI. Yes, I was thinking of picking up a couple of shares in ORI um, just on the basis of wanting something steady, uh, not terribly volatile, uh, that pays a sensible dividend, keeping the portfolio for a long term. Do you think there's a specific entry point that might be attractive here? Well, it is a bit overbought right now. It has rallied pretty nicely over the past two weeks. Was around 23 and change at the end of or mid January. Now it's at 26 and change. So it's up 12, 13% since then in a short period of time, but it is consolidating. So it feels like, you know, looks like it's consolidating to move higher. And it's pretty cheap, if I'm being honest with you. So depends on if you want to get cute. With it, it's supposed to earn $2.37 this year, $2.62 next year, 3.5% dividend yields. It's a property and casualty insurer, mortgage insurance. So it's a, it's a good company. It may have a pullback, but it's strong. The technicals are strong. So if it's going to have a major pullback, it's probably not going to have that in the near term. So it just depends on, on your time horizon. You want to be patient with it. You could see a bigger pullback, maybe back into the low 20s, uh, but that doesn't look like it's imminent. And so it could go to 30 before it pulls back into the low 20s, or maybe never pulls back to the low 20s. Who knows? But overall, it's a good company. So I'm going to give Old Republic, ORI, a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after. This final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, my name is Donald. I'm from Pennsylvania. I was uh, actually purchased a stock, Jackson Financial, JXN. I uh, established half a position, and it was a spinoff from Prudential, an insurance company on the annuity side. And I think that I just want to let them know is, uh, should I look for uh, another purchase or look for establishing a full position that goes down to support, which I think is about 38 or $40 in that range? Or should I just keep picking it up? Um, it seems to be an extremely profitable company. Thanks very much for your program. I do really appreciate it, and I like calling in from time to time. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. This is Jackson Financial, JXN. It's a spinoff. And they're pretty profitable, uh, and it's it is cheap. I will say if it continues to earn this level of earnings. However, it is in the annuity business, annuities, and the big overhang here is the best interest rule that continues to kind of be bounced around in Congress, and obviously lobbying efforts are squashing it. But basically what it is, is it's to force brokers 
that's who sells these annuities, to be held to the best interest. The Sorry, excuse me. To be held to a fiduciary standard, not the suitability standard. Okay, now what the difference is, is basically in the suitability standard is, hey, this person wants an annuity, I'm selling them an annuity. It doesn't matter how much money I make, how much kickback I make, I'm just selling them an annuity. Whether it's the best annuity in the world or not, I'm selling it to them because it's suitable for them. And that happens with mutual funds and other big commission products. But obviously, most people want to be want the best product they can get. And as a fiduciary, we're fiduciaries. We need to ask the, act in the best interest of our clients. So in the annuity space or the mutual fund space, if they were under the fiduciary standard, they would have to sell their clients, not the highest commission product, frankly, the lowest commission product that they feel is the best. And why is it the best? Right? They can't have, they can't put their interest ahead of their, out of their clients where under the suitability, they can't. They have no problem doing that. Okay. So that's the difference here. And that's the risk for Jackson Financial is that a suitability standard will, excuse me, a fiduciary standard will basically ruin their business because their brokers will no longer be able to sell just the highest commission product that they can. They'll have to sell them the best product that's the least advantageous for the, the seller and for companies like Jackson Financial. So that's the overhang. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk here. So really you have to judge. Is that regulatory risk going to come to pass? Or is it something that is going to be held off indefinitely because of lobbyists? We shall see. But that's the question you have to ask yourself. All right. Now, before I want to get to, before we end, I want to get to the Friday jobs report that came out, printed at 517,000. But it, that needs to be taken with a giant grain of salt, mainly because there was a lot of population adjustments, estimate adjustments. So it's really not a headline number you can trust. And if you look, there's also some classification changes. And if you look at non-seasonally adjusted payrolls, they were actually negative. Okay. And you look at things like average hourly earnings, it decelerated 40 basis points to 4.4% year over year. So if the jobs market is so strong, why is wage growth continuing to decelerate? And then you look at what industries did well. Leisure hospitality, construction, and manufacturing all did fairly well. And so this was kind of a soft landing type of number. Jobs number, pretty good, I guess. It's hard to really tell. And inflation pressures, easy. And you also remember, too, is the jobs market is a lagging indicator. It really is. It's not really a leading indicator. It's what happened last month. Well, the market cares more about what happens happening in the future. So it's more about how does the Fed react to this number? And once again, I don't think the Fed reacts at all to this number. They're focusing more on uh, inflation. In fact, the only real takeaway from here is that labor cost pressures are easing. And that would allow more room for the Fed to pause and become more dovish. 
Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you. And please tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.